0: The New York Red Bulls getting set to take on Orlando City this weekend as part of a two-game homestand. New York fresh off a victory against San Jose in their second league game. We've got all that and more coming up with Red Bull head coach Chris Armis. This is our coach's show on the New York Red Bulls radio network. Okay, here we go. listening to The Coaches Show with Chris Ormus on the New York Red Bulls radio network. coaches, we welcome you in. I'm Matt Harmon, of course, with the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. He is Chris Armis, the Red Bull head coach. We've got plenty to talk about here in our second edition of our Coaches Show, the March edition. Uh, among the topics we will get into, the first two league games, the next couple of games coming up, uh, some lessons learned perhaps in the Champions League, some injury updates, international duty. We've got our fan questions as well, so a busy show as we always do have for you. And I say good afternoon, fresh off the training pitch here on a mid week training day getting set for Orlando to Chris Armas. Uh, Coach, first couple of games into the league, your team stands with a win and a draw. Let's look back at the most recent game, that being San Jose, after um, I'd say maybe a a nervy first 45 minutes, a pretty solid 45 minutes in the second half.
1: Yeah, look, it's what what you're reminded of. There's no easy games, home and away in this league, and then you know, you're playing against a team in San Jose that comes in 0-2 uh, with a new coach, new philosophy, and we knew it was going to be a difficult game. But you can talk about it, and then you can go and experience that. But we, we we remained calm. The players remained calm and confident at halftime. A couple of adjustments, and I think the second half, from the start, the guys were determined to put it on our terms.
0: Yeah, it seemed like uh, not just different from um, a physical standpoint from the first to the second half, but Steve and I obviously talking, and and he was on top of it as well. It almost looked like just a mentality standpoint as well, Um, and we wondered, was there a little bit of that hangover effect from being eliminated in the Champions League from the prior match down in Mexico, and, and the team just maybe needing to get their feet back on Durham in that first 45 minutes because what you saw from uh, a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, was very different from the first half to the second. And I'm, and I'm sure for you as the head coach and the rest of the staff, it uh, was good to see your team respond that way.
1: It was great to see. It was great to see for, for our guys to see themselves respond. And, look, it was an emotional week. It was – we didn't talk too much about it um, because it was on to the next game. But the guys – we're in a really emotional, difficult series with Santos, and that sometimes takes a toll. Now, how much do you know it's going to affect you going to the next game? Um, it's it's always uh, difficult to know. But the approach was right. Even in the first half, it, you know, a lot of the transition moments that San Jose gets, it's, it's from our maybe unforced errors. We were a little jumpy with the ball at times, not finishing off plays the right way. And then to give San Jose credit, they put a lot into it. So... You know they score a good goal for them one that we weren't happy to give up we let them out of our pressure and counter and you know they play a ball behind and they're in but um listen again the response I mean if if, if I you know would I would rather have one four one scoring the first four giving up a late one or being down and then have to readjust and in 45 minutes take care of business and and, and respond with that that's the way I'd like to see it
0: When you go into the locker room, let's say, in between um, that first 45 minutes, have to make some adjustments, maybe have some of those conversations, Uh, we, we had asked Bradley Carnell, Steve had asked Bradley Carnell, who joined us in between the first and the second half on Red Bulls Radio, specifically about the uh, matchup where San Jose was getting the better of things on their attacking right side and Red Bulls left where Kyle Duncan was. um, And he said, it's a conversation that, that we need to have. We need to make some adjustments. Um, How much of that can you get done in the 15 minutes of halftime? Because, I'm sure you let everybody go in and cool down for a second maybe watch a quick video or two but then having as many individual conversations as you possibly can to make those adjustments
1: getting ready for the second half listen 15 minutes it's a long time and if if you have if you need more than 6 to 7 minutes to say what you need to say it's probably way too much information so we have a rhythm at halftime, obviously, to try to assess the game. What the, what does it the what do the players need? What does the game need? And that, and our role, and my role on that on game day, is to try to get the right balance and information to the guys. So for sure, there's a few minutes in the beginning and at the end of halftime that it's for the players, and then in the middle, that's six to eight, seven minutes or so. We look at a couple of video clips that we we think. Uh, the players could benefit from seeing. We talk through, we walk through some of that stuff. We got the magnet board that we show a couple of the ways we're going to press differently. One way we did was pressing out with Vincent Bezicourt and and, uh, flattening out with our outside midfielder so our outside backs can stay home because we're getting a little bit squeezed on on the flanks. So, you know, you walk through that stuff and then... You know, you, you really remind the guys in a confident, calm way that we got this. There's a, there's more than two or three goals out there for us. We believed that at halftime. Uh, we got to get rid of the frustration, reset, reboot is what exactly what we did. Turns out in the second
0: half, you get the four goals. You get two from Alex Muehl. You get a goal from Bradley Wright Phillips. You get one from uh, Danny Royer. Um, and I saw a lot of the lot of the players talk about Alex specifically after that second half and after the match, a guy that leaves it out there every game, a guy that plays hard for the team every single game. um, And a guy that, you know, came in as a sub, and we'll talk about that in, in just a second under those circumstances. But you like when you bring a guy into a game under whatever circumstances and he goes out there and takes advantage of his opportunity.
1: Attackers love to score and it's how they quantify, you know, the work that they're putting in. You know, I remind Alex that we appreciate the football that he brings because he's such a hard worker. The last thing on earth he wants to uh, hear is that he's known for his hard work and combativeness and energy. Well, that's all true and it's really important to our team and our style of play, but he also wants to be a guy that can contribute with goals and assists and shots and passes that lead to shots and some creativity and imagination in the final third. I mean, every player, attacker, dreams of that, being that player. And he works every day at that. So now to see on the day him get rewarded, that one, he can give to the team in a different way um, with with some actual, you know, the production that he loves to, to give, it's rewarding uh, for him, and it's great for us to see him get that recognition-slash- uh, satisfaction
0: you've seen a guy in Danny Royer uh, get his first league goal of the season in the 4-1 win over San Jose but he's also been someone who's been able to find the back of the net in some of the champion league games against Pantoa against Santos Laguna um, and and for any goal scorer to kind of continue your train of thought there talking about Alex for any goal scorer the best way to stay confident is to keep putting the ball in the back of the net and you've gotten that so far from, from Royer
1: Look, Danny loves to score. He has um <clears throat> some of the qualities of a of a midfielder um and qualities of a striker and he has a mentality of a of a striker and a finisher. Um you know, he loves being in in those uh spots. He loves when the pressure's on. Um and he knows how to run well and and sniff out plays inside the the 18-yard box. So yeah, look, it's it's important to get the the attackers going. It's great to see even Brad get one, but but for Danny, um, he's another guy that puts so much in defensively and gives so much to the team. Um, again, to see him on the score sheet and also assisting and setting up plays is is great.
0: It seems strange to say, as this is the fourth week of the MLS season, but it'll be your third game because of the week two uh, bye. But just real quick, talk about the 1-1 draw that you guys were able to pick up against Columbus that was right in the middle of the Champions League preparations from one series to the next and in between games. uh, Very different lineup that you threw out. And for a lot of guys, their first impression on – team and a franchise that that boasts about their depth overall, that you were able to go into a pretty tough environment in Columbus and come away with a 1-1 draw? Yeah,
1: well, look, I, I think now some some might look back at it and and say it's more impressive than it actually was. We, we were thrilled on the day because we know the task. We know how good of a team they are. We know the team that they returned this year. We know that they're playing in their home opener that day. We know they're playing for a new coach where everyone's trying to prove themselves. And we put out a fearless team and an aggressive game plan, and our guys went after it. And now, you know, in 90 minutes there, to we give up a set-piece goal that ended up... It was an own goal. I mean, I think it got credited for a goal, but it was an own goal. It hit off uh, one of our players in Murillo's face and goes into the goal. But it's an impressive victory for our guys. And, and then... More so, what really matters is that it was a day that we got certain guys' minutes. Marcus Evans, Vincent Bisgar Flo. Like, we got a bunch of guys out there. Omir Fernandez playing in the nine, up top, uh, wreaking havoc for, for Columbus. So, I think, you know, on the day, we remained true to ourselves and went after it in the style that we did. And we, we felt great after that match. It'll continue to pay dividends. But now you're seeing Columbus's other results, and you say, wow, you know. Some were saying the, uh, was the Red Bulls, but the Baby Bulls that day went after it.
0: Red Bull head coach Chris Armas joining us here on our monthly coaches podcast on the New York Red Bulls radio network. If you're listening to us on Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Apple Store, be sure to uh, take a second if you can, give us a little rating and review. Uh, appreciate anybody's comments anywhere along the way. This kind of in our cycle of podcasts. We've got our players-only podcast. Steve Jolly and I break things down from month to month as well. Uh, coach, in in these first couple of games, obviously coming out of the San Jose game, There was concern for Florian Valleau, and as we learned uh, a little bit earlier in the day, he is out for a considerable amount of time, unfortunately tearing uh, the ACL in his other knee, opposite to what he did last year. Heartbreaking in a way, I'm sure, not just for Flo, the entire team, coaches. um, I mean, I get that it's part of the the profession and part of the business, but man, what a blow.
1: What a blow. I mean, to... to have the pleasure to get to know Florian Vallaud off the field and on the field, you know, it's, it, the players become really uh, part of your, this, this inner family and, and you, you, to see that he just has to go through that again. It's a major injury, it's, it's um, I know it well, that injury, I've had two of those ACLs and, and now just to see him come back so strong and, and the work he had to put in to get back, it, it, it hurts um, to have to see him suffer that way now. His mentality's been great and his spirits are high and the team is rallying around him and has been very supportive, but that's that's tough for Flo, like first and foremost. It's just hard on the player, for any player. Um, and of course, it yeah, it, it's a blow to our team. He's a, a really interesting player uh, for us. He provides ideas and quality up the field. Also, he provides uh, the balance against the ball because he can run at players defensively. He can counter-press. He's one of our best forward defenders, we say. Um, yeah, so look, it's, we thought it was a a bad tackle. We thought it was a bad tackle, one that was unnecessary when, when Judson the, 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 on San Jose leaves his feet and his body kind of lands on Flo's leg, and, and there's a little bit of a follow-through. So, you know, listen, and, and we, you never can judge intent, and it's probably just uh, unfortunate, but we, we just, I don't know. We're really down for, for Flo.
0: So talk about how that is. You look at the roster and you say, well, you've got a lot of other winger-type players. But as you as you just said, in all of those guys, whether it's Florian Velo, Danny Royer, Omir Fernandez, Alex Muehl, Marcus Epps, uh, all of those guys do something different. They're not clones of each other, essentially. And with Valo, um he, he at times would almost tuck in and play as a second number 10 with, with knowing that you're not going to have him for an extended amount of time. Um, it, it does open the door for other guys, and other guys maybe we can now learn a little bit more about, like an Omir Fernandez or a Marcus Epps. Um, but does it change maybe – Tactically, what you would do? Okay, we don't have flow anymore. We know what he can do. You almost have to, in a way, not change the game plan, but play to someone else's strengths in that spot.
1: Yeah, look, we have a a distinct playing style and philosophy, and and oftentimes a you know a structure that the demands for that we say you know interior wide midfielder. We don't really play with wingers. We we get the the width oftentimes from our outside back, but you know, yes, if, if Derek or Andy Yvonne, you know, Derek Etienne, Andy Yvonne, Marcus Epps, you know, these guys, um, you know, Ben Mines, they're great 1v1 players, they're quick, they can get on the move, they get behind, they're runners with also some quality, but they're, they're typically those guys that can unlock defenses with speed and, and uh, 1v1 ability. Omiro Fernandez has a little bit of both, you know, and, and Flo had a little bit of that elegance to him, and, and some more ideas underneath. Um, and those other guys have that, but they have the flat-out speed and all that. You now, Flo was just interesting because he he could play the ten for us. You know, he has a, he understands space on the field. He knows how to create space for himself and, and find space, create space for others. He's a really intelligent player. And uh, we'll miss him out there, and and yeah, it's it ends up being opportunity for for someone else to step in, and uh, yeah, but we'll miss him tremendously.
0: Let's close the door on this his first segment and think uh, back into the past a little bit before we look ahead in our second segment to the next couple of games coming up and some Red Bull players off on international duty and how that will affect the roster as well. Um, coach, obviously the disappointment of getting knocked out of the Champions League by Santos in the quarterfinals. Um, Stung for sure, but thinking of it and how you can spin it of lessons learned. What, what do you take out of the, the two series Pantoa and Santos and thinking this in one way or another could make us a better team moving forward?
1: Yeah, look, th- those experiences, uh, Champions League against different players, different um, different styles of play, different coaching uh, backgrounds different stakes early on in the year for us that in so many ways and then of course international part of it and travel and balancing the rosters it challenged all of us but we, you know for all we think in the end we're all better for it and we'll learn from it but um we as a unit as a group we we felt like, um, we let leg one slip a little bit in the Santos series. You know, we thought we put a lot into that leg and, and we let them out of a few plays and they make a few plays on, on each of their their goals. So you know, that that you have to take care of your home leg for sure. Um, and in saying that, look, we, we were we we're playing against good players. They're they're talented, they're is rosters deep, they're dynamic, they're, they they play with two strikers, so um yeah, it made the, the second leg difficult, but we had a dream start. And we feel really good that we went after it. We, we really, both legs, both legs we went after. We were aggressive. Um, and, and leg two, we put ourselves in a spot against an excellent team in their building. That it seemed uh, like we took the life out of the building until they scored their first goal. So, we'll learn that every play matters. Every, you know, we, we have to manage uh, games the right way. Uh, tactically, as coaches, can we make good decisions and things that help the game? Can the players manage situations, tough situations, tactically or just individually? So there's so many little things in there, but we, we looked at it closely. We, we learn from it, and we, we'll use it and, and draw on it when need be.
0: Red Bull head coach Chris Armas joining us here on the New York Red Bulls radio network, our monthly podcast. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we will look ahead to the next couple of games for the New York Red Bulls, including this Saturday with Orlando City coming to Harrison. Download the New York Red Bulls app today to stay up to date on everything New York Red Bulls. Buy, share, and scan your tickets. Get all the latest news and content and listen to New York Red Bulls radio in English and Spanish. Then flip to arena mode to find concessions near your location and get real-time answers from the Red Bulls chatbot. Available now on iOS and Android or visit NewYorkRedBulls.com for more information. New York getting set to take on Orlando City Saturday night at Red Bull Arena with Red Bull head coach Chris Armis. I'm Matt Harmon on the New York Red Bulls radio network. Hope you are enjoying our ever full assortment of podcasts. We've got our players only, Steve Jiley and I, inside the booth, and this one always a good one from month to month, our look with the head coach, Chris Armis. Uh, Coach, looking back in our first segment, let's look ahead now in our second segment. We'll finish with questions from fans as well. You've got a couple of interesting games coming up to wind down the month of March. March this first one against an Orlando City team on Saturday night at RBA, which through the first couple of matches of the season have struggled.
1: Yeah, look as we've as we've shifted focus to Orlando, you know they've been in these games. They've had some good stretches where they're in control. Um, some some tough moments that don't go their way, and, and they haven't found themselves the the victors. But we'll be very you know mindful of that they have a talented roster and and it will not be easy. They just, none of the games are in this league and especially early on as all of us are trying to find our way and and really get momentum and, and our sharpness right. So, you know, they... James O'Connor, it's going to be difficult. It will be difficult. The head coach over there, he's he's organized. They're they're hard to break down, and they can counterattack and put together some football. So it'll be another tough task.
0: Orlando through the first three league games of the year, two draws and a loss they have scored four and given up six. Uh, They will take on this New York Red Bull team Saturday night. That game starting at 7.30. We'll be on the air at 6.30 with our countdown to kickoff pregame show. Um, Maybe one of the key factors of this match, if you had to pick uh, a few keys, would be international duty in terms of the Red Bull lineup. You look at the players that have been called in for their various national teams, Kamar Lawrence, Amir Murillo, Aaron Long, uh, Kaku also, but from a defensive standpoint, that that allows obviously some players into the lineup that maybe either haven't seen a lot of time or uh, depending on the direction that you want to go with a particular formation or a lineup, but going into a game, not having three of your normal four starters, I would, I would think from a coaching perspective is, uh, is challenging.
1: Listen, when, when you have, when you have Murillo, when you have, Kumar, who we've trying to nurse back to full health, and he's there now, right? But when you have those guys in, along with Aaron Long in your back line, you feel like it's a, it's a group that knows each other well. It's cohesive. They they thrive on shutouts, and that hurts. When you don't have Kaku, you, you lose some of the ideas up the field and the ability to control games with the ball at, at times. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's one way to look at it, right? What you miss, but we'll focus more on what we have. And now think about um, the options that we have to fill those spots. And and there's a number of guys. I mean, Sean Nealis, Amro Tarek, both have had minutes now, right? This year, due to the way we've mixed up lineups and and gone about different games. Connor Lade, Kyle Duncan, your options at outside back. That's great that we have options there up the field is a bunch of guys that have gotten starts and minutes. We just saw Vince come out of a, a game where he's starting, and Omir Fernandez ready to go. So we will have some different faces fill in, opportunity uh, knocks for them, and they, it won't be their first uh, minutes of the year.
0: From uh, a standpoint of thinking, um, and I saw today at training, obviously when you're when you're missing some numbers, guys called in to ash, uh, international duty in order to have a good training session, you bring a variety of, of players up um, from a USL standpoint or guys that might be bouncing back and forth. It, it lets you as the head coach and the rest of your staff maybe see the the true depth of that roster a little bit from a training perspective, how guys mix together with the veteran guys that are still here and a guy who may have been with the USL the first couple of weeks, but now all of a sudden he gets an opportunity to train with the first team.
1: Yeah, listen, it's a big, the, the, the player sharing and, and the, our relationship with John Mullink and, and the USL team and our academy. This is by design. It's part of what we do. We sometimes, and it's, it's one of the factors, sometimes we, we need some numbers. But oftentimes we, we like what we're seeing with the USL team and we reward guys. And we get them into our training sessions and show them what the standard is. And we coach those guys. And it's our responsibility to bring those guys up. Meaning it's not for John's job underneath to develop those guys only. It's out. We want to show them the way as well. And and therefore, there's some guys that we say, and we watch all those games. We're in, in the building. We're watching those games. And... Um, Players like Reese Buckmaster, I mean, he's earned his time in our training sessions. Jordan Scarlett, Jared Stroud, these guys have earned their minutes. John Tolkien in our academy—we're not just filling numbers. We can easily have had the session today with 20 guys, 21 roster guys. We go to 24 players because we wanted specific guys in with us. We're evaluating and sizing up all the time, and it's, this is how we—this is how we do it here.
0: I think Gordon and I—we'd be happy to throw the boots on every once in a while. If you were short numbers, if you're if you're entertaining thoughts of maybe—I mean, Jolly always angles for minutes somewhere along the way. You
1: two guys—I mean, listen—it's one thing. Jolly still has—you know—I said it—you got to earn those minutes. And you guys, maybe. Jolly still not there yet.
0: Jolly's not there yet at all. Um, so you you think you've got Orlando this week? You've got Chicago next week. Maybe we saw it uh, in the week the past week's game against San Jose, a team that came in struggling a little bit. You look at Orlando, they've struggled a little bit. Chicago so far, they've struggled a little bit. Um, Are those teams harder to play, easier to play at the beginning of the season when they're going through early season, I'll say, struggles and figuring things out? Um, Because at some point of the season, you feel like everybody kind of gets it, whether it's for a short amount of time or a longer amount of time. Uh, But playing a a team early on that – essentially could be looking for its first win in either of the next two games. Those are sometimes unique and different type challenges.
1: Listen, again, I, I, I don't recall many easy games in this league uh, as a player or a coach. And every so often you you can get a multi-goal or some goals come in bunches. But even this last game that we played 4 one, it's, we're down one, nothing, you know, at home. So look, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Would you rather play? Would you rather play a team that has won the last five in a row, um, or lost five in a row? Everyone might have a different take. You know, it, it's. I still think that every single time you have to reset and, and give the utmost respect for the opponent and, and expect their best. Because once you you let that edge down, and once you think start too good of yourself or too bad of the other team you you get humbled really quickly in life and in in, in, in our in our league so yeah look I, I think it, it's eastern conference games always seem to be t- like tougher when it's east versus east or whether you know inter inter games are difficult on the road even more difficult against a rival like Chicago even more difficult so it's it won't be easy. The, the, all these games are tough.
0: Chicago, obviously, a special place for you as well with uh, your career that you had there. Let, let's let's transition here into through the first few games of the season. Uh, some teams have played three. In your case, you've played two like a couple other teams have. Um, paying attention to the rest of the league. I'm, I know it's something that you as a coaching staff do all the time, whether you're looking east, west, next opponent, future opponent, but I'm sure just as a soccer fan, you're paying attention to what's going on in the league um, and seeing good or in some cases, poor starts for uh, some teams in the East and the West. What, what's maybe struck you the first few weeks of the season from what you've seen?
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's uh, interesting because I, I think that um, there's teams like DC United that I feel like has picked up where they left off. Big momentum from last year. Uh, momentum with, with Acosta, momentum with Wayne Rooney, uh, a dominance at home, stingy defensively. They look like they're in in a good way right now. Uh, Seattle, the same, doing very well, and, and not many kinks uh, in what they're doing. Maybe the continuity's there. They're good players. They're, uh, Lodera, the guys are showing up, and, and that's... Those guys look like they're in, off to a good start, and I think listen, there's other teams, um, you know, the Vancouver, um, Atlanta, Vancouver, you know, with Frank DeBoer, like like they just uh, the coaches are, are new to the league, and they they're, they're I think they're just trying to find their the way of the, their their team and learn the different players and qualities. It's still really early for those guys and um, to. to Put their stamp on it. Even Dome in New York City, the team's playing well, and and Almeida in San Jose. It's gonna take a little bit of time till he really puts his stamp. But you can see that it's gonna. Those 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 teams are in good hands with these coaches in Scalotto in LA, and, and you can see that that's that's one of the trends. Some of the new coaches in the league, um, learning our league, learning the rosters, and then. You can see that there's been some mixed results in there. Um, but it's all tight. It's all tight.
0: Is it that big of a difference, and listening to your answer there, this just popped in my head, is it that big of a difference for a coach that is familiar with an entirely different league to then move to Major League Soccer? I mean, You're still coaching the game and you still have your principles, but you said learning the roster, learning the league. Is that something that is difficult for coaches that come from outside the United States, or this area, and then come to Major League Soccer?
1: Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, just think of of, of Matias in San Jose. I mean, he's got to—he has his style, and and, and um, there's tactics in his style of play that he's trying to to bring to life in, in the team, and instill and, and uh, a man-marking style. And it's—you it, know, he might not have all the players that he wants yet to do that, so he's trying to do that. At the same time, he's trying to, you know, he knows who the starters were last year, but he's trying to now assess for himself without anyone's, just a pure perspective. And then imagine if he knew, all right, exactly how, well, he does know New York because we played him when he was at Chivas. Um, but wouldn't it be nice to know, you know, exactly how DC United could hurt you, exactly how New York, who our strengths and all the player qualities um, you know that that's that's challenging. So when you when you look uh, even Caleb in, in Columbus, he knows the league really well. He can pick up um, similarly uh, Lee with some of the other guys, but he knows the league well. So he's trying to put his stamp on things. At the same time, uh, he has a good sense of what to expect out of different teams. Um, so yeah, I think I think it it, could, it would only help um, when you know you know the different philosophies and styles of play and tactics that teams have showed.
0: Last one before we take a break, and then we'll come back with fan questions. Um, Obviously, you, as someone who has been with Major League Soccer for as long as you have, from player, assistant coach, uh, to now head coach, you you had to be, I'll say, excited. And and we've talked about this at different points as the league continues to grow, what you saw in Cincinnati with their big march to the stadium. And it's something that, from a Red Bull perspective, you, you probably weren't all that surprised by because the the crowd that they threw out in the Open Cup game a couple of years ago, uh, but it is really exciting to see people kind of latch onto it and be um, have it ingrained as part of their community.
1: It's incredible. I mean, we we could see it coming if if that Open Cup game was a little prelude to what was coming. It, you know, there was passion. There was support. The people in the stands. There was knowledgeable supporters. there's support from the organization. They've managed to put together a nice roster. um, Some good names there. Um, They're aggressive. They they have a nice situation going there. And you know, Major League Soccer has gotten it right. Let's let's be honest here. That they've um, the cities that they've chose for expansion. have been home runs I mean they're finding these cities with the right the, the ownership groups the support the, the fan support the, so that that's been impressive and you just look at Atlanta and Seattle even if you think about them it's been they've been for a while but the Portland Seattle since then, I mean you look at the expansion these days it's it's amazing it's amazing what, what's going on in our league
0: We'll take a timeout, our last and final timeout. We come back for our third segment that is devoted to you, the fans. We'll get to fan questions with Red Bull head coach Chris Armis right after this quick timeout on the New York Red Bulls radio network. Final segment of our March coaches show here on the New York Red Bulls radio network, a variety of ways for you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can go to the New York Red Bulls app. You can find these on Stitcher on Google play on uh, the Apple podcast, iTunes store. Be sure to drop us a review or a rating. If you are so inclined, I'm Matt Harmon back here with a Red Bull head coach, Chris Armis. We are getting into now our fan questions and uh, coach this one coming Right up your alley, I think, this is from uh, the Energy Drink fan account with a soccer ball smack dab in the middle. Uh, what goes into ensuring that your players understand their roles in the pressing system?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, what goes into our, our uh, you know, ensuring that players understand is a few different things. One, it it's usually entails video. Going over video and showing exactly what we're we're trying to accomplish. The visual of that is always helpful for guys. We follow that up with repetition throughout training. Um, So a lot of the pressing exercises and pressing uh, training sessions that we put together uh, just clarify that and individual roles. It's usually not so sophisticated other than the fact that you you don't always know what the opposition is going to do. So it can't just be like, this is the only thing we're going to do every single time. So there's usually small variances in what we try to do. Um, for instance, if you're pressing with Bradley Wright Phillips and our eights, maybe Danny Royer and Alex Mule, step up also, then that, that's the general pressing. And then we just got to say, all right, when those guys do this, the outside backs do this. So there's usually little relationships and connections on, on the field that positions work together. But um the simplest way to do it, the way we press, it, it's when we go, we go. When one guy goes, it starts to domino. And it's the most important thing that when one guy goes, it's an all out pressing uh, group activity.
0: Here's a, another tactical question from Eric Freelander at E fried 97. Can you explain the thought process between a four, three, three with roving eights and tens you played against Santos. And at other times during the course of the preseason uh, seemed very fluid offensively, but a little bit different defensively without necessarily having a destroyer at the number six.
1: Yeah. Look, it's one of the reasons that we play, we we call it a four, one, four, one. And if you can imagine that second line of, midfielders, let's say. so if you play with Sean Davis deep in the holding midfield position, the six we call it, ahead of him could be essentially two number tens. So've we've, we've done it with, let's say against Columbus, it was Vincent Bezicourt and Florian Ballot. What that allows to do when, we, when we're setting our pressing, it allows the tens to run at at the other team's, uh, let's call it center backs where instead of having Bradley Wright Phillips do all the work chasing back and forth, Brad can stay in the middle, and then you release one of those 10s to run at a center back. So if we think that teams like to build out of the back and possess the ball, we're constantly putting pressure on the ball. It's tricky that Sean Davis is by himself as a lone holding midfielder, but that becomes less of a factor if we're putting pressure on the ball. Because there's no way, no way for the, that guy on the ball to pass and find gaps in our team.
0: There'll be a quiz at the end of the broadcast. We'll uh, have a link for you to be able to see if you followed. It sounds very scientific as to what is going on, but I like it.
1: Yeah, it like just allows it it really helps us put pressure on the ball up the field and when we win it we have a bunch of guys in the middle of the field ready to, ready to go
0: this question coming compliments of Bill Reese and it does play into the roster this week are you in favor of releasing players for upcoming qualifying tournaments whether it's uh, international duty like this Olympic qualifying tournaments which will be coming up or all the different kind of international
1: breaks where you've got to let players go. I am. I am in favor. Yes, I think it's. It's. There's no greater honor for a player to represent his country at the at the highest level internationally, and with the national teams, Olympic teams, even youth national teams. Um, so, you know, we we support guys in, in that manner, and we never will hold players back. Um, so and we also know that those those players that end up going they come back uh, oftentimes better than when they left they they have another experience under their belt and you know and, and, and they grow and, and those games challenge you differently and you get to see you get to see different again philosophies and styles and you get there's different pressures when you go to your national team and responsibilities and yeah we we think all those experiences pay dividends and and help the player grow individually which in, then in turn comes back to us and helps our team grow
0: El Football S Metro with this question, and it deals, uh, Coach, more of a personal one here, and we had a couple of questions come in this week about this, about your uh, Puerto Rican heritage and and what it's like to be uh, someone who, who has a Puerto Rican heritage and be at the highest level of the coaching profession here in Major League Soccer.
1: Yeah, my mother was born in Puerto Rico. Um, I've been to Puerto Rico many times. Um, my grandmother, uh, who's no longer alive, but she lived there for her whole life. and, and um, Yeah, so my mom, it's on my mom's side. And yeah, we still, around the holidays, it's it's, it's pasteles and, and uh, arroz con habichuelas and all the Spanish, uh, you know, we say the, the Puerto Rican food that my mom makes. And, and um, yeah, I'm really proud of my Puerto Rican heritage. And been really touching up on my Spanish, and and which has helped me communicate with, with uh, our own players here. But when I was a kid, I grew up in, in, the, in the house where my parents would speak Spanish only when they didn't want us to understand something. So I, I didn't get to learn too much on a daily basis, but I have a decent uh, base of Spanish and I keep trying to learn.
0: Well, you must be trying to still learn and feel comfortable enough because I know whether it was in the Dominican or in Mexico, you did press conferences and did it pretty much speaking spanish so i'll I'll give you kudos of saying i'm still learning but you must feel good enough about it that you're doing it in a media setting like that
1: yeah look it it wasn't easy because i don't i didn't understand all the the entire questions all the time and but i thought it was important um you know for me you know to to honor the country that i'm in and to show you know that that I think they can appreciate that, um, both in Pantoja and, and 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 Santos when we when we played those teams. And I listen, I think it's important when I when I'm up on the podium with Kaku the one time and on the other time with Murillo that they see how uncomfortable I am and I'm trying to show them that it's okay to, to get outside your comfort zone. And I, I don't even I think I knew what I was saying most of the time. Other time, making some things up, maybe I don't know. But it was important, for, honestly, um, for the for me to, you know, show show my players or our players that, uh, yeah, that that I have some courage and. and uh, you know, to, to step outside of the comfort.
0: A couple of questions remaining here. Red Bull head coach, Chris Armis in our monthly uh, coaches podcast here on the New York Red Bulls radio network. I think this, this is probably in the minds of just about everybody, right? This comes from John Amaral. What goes into your decision on game day as to whether you wear a suit or you don't wear a suit? What kind of fashion statement do you want to make when you're on the sideline?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't want to make any fashion statement. I, I, <laughs> I, it's usually, um, you know, trying to look professional and, and um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think too much about it during the week or it's usually the day before or the morning of where I'm tr- looking in the closet and, and I have a few options, but I gen- generally try to look professional and and like most often when we put on a suit or get dressed up in some fashion that you feel like something important is on the line that day. So I always liked it was like that as a player and as as a coach. So, yes, some uh, some games a little more casual and, and sometimes a little more just – I'm not sure. I, w- I wish I had a better answer in terms wife of doesn't
0: help you out? Pick, she pick helps out, out a lot.
1: She does. She does um, – she's got a big say and, you know, she usually says everything looks pretty good, which uh, – I don't know if she's telling the truth all the time. It's obviously a lie. I think it's obviously a lie. But yeah, um, probably need to expand the the wardrobe a little bit. You know, the fans are watching.
0: All right, so this one, I'm not sure that there would be a better person to ask this of you, uh, ask ask about this than you. Uh, this coming from Tom Bellows. Uh, what was C.J. Brown's nickname on the Chicago Fire, The People Need Real Answers? Did he have a nickname that, that some hidden one um, that nobody knows about
1: cj i mean uh, we we call you know a lot of got, a lot of us called him juice cj i don't i don't know uh it was juice i don't, I don't know what else and and where'd that come from do you know i'm not sure juice what the heck i mean cj i don't know if it's from the j i mean i'm not sure i'm not sure um but you know his his first name uh which is the c stands for is charles so charles brown Short for you know, Charlie Brown is kind of we joke around with him sometimes, it's Charlie Brown, and uh, yeah, but I don't know, I forget where the, the juice came from. My memory is not great, but that was that was his nickname. Well, we know
0: that Gordon put a mark on that because when we do have CJ come on at some point, we'll know to ask him. Uh, why he was called Juice. And then this last one, and we'll wrap up with this as it will lead us into our final thought, which will be the game against Orlando City. That's coming up on Saturday. This one coming from LongIslandSoccer.net right in your neck of the woods. What's your typical day like on game days? you got a 7.30 game against Orlando. What time are you getting up? What do you got going on before you get to the stadium? What time are you arriving? What's going on on that whole yeah. day? Yeah.
1: You know, those days fly by for me mainly and and at home it's different because at home, you know, I I try to get to the stadium early. I'm usually one of the first ones there. um, And if we play at 730, I I could arrive at, you know, 230 sometimes, five hours before kickoff, four hours sometimes, you know, and. The only thing that prevents me on those days from getting at that time is if I'm trying to catch my son's soccer game or some family function I'm trying to stick around for. But in general, I mean, on those days, the kids are around. My wife is off from work that day. I try to keep it very normal for everybody. I'm out in the morning getting bagels always on those days and try to have some normalcy at home in the morning. I always try to work out on game day, um, you know, just to, because it's not... Other, no other reason other than that I have a little bit of time. And some days I don't have the the, the time, but um, yeah, it's it's and then try to, uh, you know, the, the the my wife, you know, sometimes they 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 want us to win bad and they're a little nervous and so it's just really by having a a confidence at home and saying listen, it's it's more normalcy and just uh take a little off the family. Sometimes they they when they want us to win so bad the kids and. Um, and one of my sons always likes to come with me early, so it's always a treat.
0: And nor- and different between a home game and a road game, two totally different routines yeah. and atmospheres. Um, I'll throw one in here as a follow up: is Is there something other than working out and let's say getting bagels? That sounds like it's a part of the part of the game day process. When you're on the road, you're not running out to get bagels for everyone. How do you fill that? How do you fill that bagel time when you're on the road?
1: Yeah, look, I I, I oftentimes I'm. I'm uh, Again, try to get a routine. There's more time to deal with, much, a, f- a bunch more hours that I'm that I typically don't have. So it's sometimes looking a little more at the opponent, thinking about you know, planning the, the uh, envisioning what are the different scenarios: up a goal, down a goal, uh, red card, every scenario that I, I can come up with. So I'm just as prepared as I can be. There's always some the, the, the demeanor that I try to. Uh, you know, on road games, I'm around the team a little bit more. So just creating a certain feel in in the, in the environment and atmosphere on the road. And in the morning, I mean, we're up early. So you know, a couple of guys in the staff we got together and, and get a coffee. Or Tony Jouot, the the fitness coach, is is a French guy, and, and he he's always sniffs out the best uh, local croissant place, bakery, cappuccino, something, you know he drags us with him so
0: all right we got it bagels at home croissants on the road that's now it. we know that's the secret that is the secret
1: and then i gotta work out extra time because of tony
0: <laughs> no doubt coach appreciate you coming by here today uh, getting set for preparations against orlando look forward to doing this with you each
1: and every month two months down listen thanks again matt it, it's it's great being on on the show again and and for all of our fans and soccer enthusiasts, and and thanks for for tuning in and giving us your time.
0: Gordon Stevenson is our producer, director, and technical guru for the head uh, head coach of the New York Red Bulls. Chris Armas. I'm Matt Harmon from the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. We'll see you Saturday at the stadium. Again, don't forget to subscribe to what we do here on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network.